Today on Let the Bible Speak. Are gifts of the Holy Spirit still operational in the church today? We turn to the Bible for the answer to that question next on Let the Bible Speak. and welcome. Thanks for making Let the Bible Speak a part of your Lord's Day. This is a half-hour study of the Bible. It's not a television church, nor is it any kind of replacement for the public worship of the local church. It is rather an outreach of the Church of Christ to simply preach the Word of God. And we're so glad you're in the audience today, and I want to emphasize that we want nothing from you except your kind attention to the Bible as we open and study it. We've been on the air for over 25 years now, and in that time we have never asked our viewers for money, nor do we sell products, and we have no intention of beginning. This program is brought to you each week by the Church of Christ in your area to preach the truth of God's Word, nothing more and nothing less. So we're very thankful that you're here today and you're giving us this amount of time to look into the Word of God. Our scripture reading today will come from Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, chapter 13. Now, This is often thought of as the chapter which defines and extols the kind of love that we should show to one another. Well, that's very true, but there is a broader context to Paul's admonition, and that is the conditions that existed at Corinth at that time. Corinth was a divided church, and some of their quarreling revolved around the possession and the use of spiritual gifts. In verses 8 through 13, these words, Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now Paul says that the gifts of the Spirit over which the Corinthian church was so divided were not lasting. They were only temporary. They would be manifest until that which is perfect has come. Well, what was Paul referring to? What is the perfect thing that would one day come? This is an important question that we need to answer if we are to understand the purpose and scope of miraculous gifts of the Spirit. So that will be the title of the lesson today. Has that which is perfect come? And if so, what does that mean to us? I'll return with our study after our song. Come, let us all unite to sing, God is love. Let heaven and earth their praises ring, God is love. Let every soul from sin awake, each in his heart sweet music make, and sing with us for Jesus. 
One of the marked features of the first century church was the use of supernatural gifts of the Spirit. Some of the early Christians could, for example, miraculously speak in languages they had never learned. This was called speaking in tongues. Such was not gibberish or speaking in some mystical, unknown, or heavenly dialect, but rather by the power of the Holy Spirit speaking in other languages of earth that were unknown to the one speaking. There were gifts of prophecy. Those who possessed this gift could speak forth the things that the Spirit miraculously gave them to speak, and that often involved predicting the future. There was the gift of healing and the gift of performing miracles. Paul lists several of these in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now these gifts played an essential role in the revelation and early development of the Christian faith. For example, the Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 that the apostles, that is those who personally heard Christ, possessed such gifts in order that they might bear witness to the truth that the apostles were being inspired to speak. And then the Bible also teaches that those same apostles exclusively had the power to lay hands on people and impart those gifts to them. Acts chapter 8 verses 14 through 20 shows us that when converts were made and a new congregation was established, the apostles would then at some point visit that place and lay hands upon certain ones and those people would receive various gifts of the Spirit. Now those gifts would then allow the church to function and be guided in the truth in the absence of the apostles and in the absence of their completed writings. Well, the Corinthian church was begun when Paul went to that city on his second missionary journey. Uh, Paul spent a, consider a considerable amount of time here teaching them, and when he left them, he had left them with these spiritual gifts to aid them in their development and work. However, when we read his first letter that he wrote back to them, we learn that this church was misconstruing and misusing these supernatural abilities. Instead of using them to God's glory and for the good and edification of the church, they were rather bringing glory to the ones who possessed the gifts. And so they became jealous of one another because one possessed some gift that another did not have, and their pride and their pettiness led to a struggle within the church. Corinth was a carnally-minded, bickering, and quarrelsome congregation. So when Paul writes to them, he spends much of the letter correcting their abuses and rebuking their carnal attitudes and their misguided ideas. They, they had missed the point entirely concerning spiritual gifts and were essentially making them an end-all instead of recognizing what their purpose really was. So in chapters 12 through 14, Paul deals exhaustively with this issue and he corrects their error. Now chapter 13 is considered the go-to chapter in the Bible concerning the meaning of love. It's one of the most beautiful chapters in all of the Bible. In flowing, inspired eloquence, Paul extols the properties and the virtues of godly love. So why is that sandwiched in between his explanation of spiritual gifts in chapter 12 and then his instructions about how these gifts were to be used in their assemblies in chapter 14? And there were no chapter divisions when Paul wrote the letter. Well, the key is found in the last verse of chapter 12. In verse 31, Paul says, but earnestly desire the best gifts. In other words, these gifts were good things, not bad. But he goes on to say, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Now when Paul says they are to earnestly desire the best gifts, he's not telling them to covet the most spectacular gifts, but rather to desire to see gifts used in the way they were intended, and that is to the edification and benefit of the body. Well, this could only happen if they kept these gifts in perspective. 
and they realized that their use needed to be governed by the greatest principle and aim of all, and that is love. That's the greatest principle in the Bible and in all of the world. This should govern everything we do. And so in verses 1 through 7, he shows them, of chapter 13, he shows them in poetic and beautiful terms what love looks like and how love should cause them to behave toward one another. Then in verse 8, he points to something else about spiritual gifts in relation to that love they should show to one another, and that is that one was only temporary, the other was permanent. One was a means to an end, the spiritual gifts. The other was a permanent principle, love or charity. He says, love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. Now notice the contrast here between love and spiritual gifts. He says, love never fails. But prophecies, words spoken by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said, they will fail. He says likewise that miraculously speaking in tongues will cease and the spiritual gift of knowledge will vanish away. He plainly shows that these spiritual gifts would not last forever. So that fact has now already been established. Well, let's look at these words, fail and vanish away. He says, prophecies will fail. Now, that doesn't mean that prophecies would fail to come to pass or that those prophecies would be shown to not be true. That's not the idea. He also says, knowledge miraculously imparted would vanish away. Now, the words, um, the words fail and vanish away come from the same Greek word, katergeo. Now, according to Cattell's Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, that word means to remove from the sphere of activity or to make completely inoperative. Thayer says that it means to render idle, unemployed, inactivate, and inoperative. In other words, these gifts would eventually become idle, inactive, and removed from the sphere of activity. This is actually an interesting word that's used in several places throughout Scripture. For example, Paul used it in Romans chapter 7 and verse 6 when he said of New Testament Christians in relation to the Old Testament, but now we have been delivered, katergeo, from the law, having died to what we were held by so that we should serve in newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. In a similar reference, he wrote in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 14, that the veil that covered people's eyes in reading the Old Testament is taken away. There's the word, katergeo, taken away in Christ. So we can see that Paul used that, when Paul used that word, he meant that something was being removed or would no longer be active or a force. He says that such would be the case with spiritual gifts. And he also says the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues would cease. Well, the word that Paul used there was and it simply means to stop or to pause. Uh, the writer of Hebrews uses that same word in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 2, saying that if the animal sacrifices under the Old Testament could have taken away sin, then he says, then would they not have ceased, pow, to be offered? Those sacrifices, you see, came to an end when they were fulfilled in Christ. Well, in the same way, Paul says, that just as a speaker pauses and falls silent, so tongues would serve their purpose and then lapse into silence. Spiritual gifts, therefore, were given for a specific duration of time, and the time would come, Paul says, when those gifts would cease to be distributed and exercised by the church. Well, when would that be? Well, let's read again 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 10. 
He says, love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Now, not only has Paul told us that gifts of the Spirit would be taken away and would stop or cease, but he also now tells us when. He says, when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part will be done away. Well, this brings us to the core question in our study today. Has that which is perfect come, or are we still waiting for it? And thus, spiritual gifts, those things which are in part, would still be operational among us today. Well, what is Paul referring to when he says, that which is perfect? Because whenever it comes, those gifts, he says, will cease. So we have to determine, what is that which is perfect? Some have contended that Paul is referring here to Jesus. And thus, he would be saying that spiritual gifts will remain with the church until Jesus comes again. Because after all, you know, Jesus is the only perfect person who ever lived. Well, there are a number of problems with that view. For one thing, Paul does not say, when he who is perfect has come. Instead, he says, when that which is perfect has come. He is not referring to a person, but he's referring to something, a thing. The key here is the word perfect, especially as it is contrasted with that which is in part. Now, we know what he means when he refers to that which is in part because he identifies it in verse 9. He says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But he says, when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Now, when we hear the English word perfect, we often think of sinlessness, flawlessness, perfection, But that's not exactly the meaning of the Greek word that Paul used here. The word Paul used is the word teleos. And it simply means complete or mature. It means wanting nothing necessary to completeness. Imperfect means incomplete or still wanting. Perfect means complete or mature or fully developed. Now notice how the same word is used in other passages of Scripture. In fact, in the very next chapter, chapter 14, verse 20, Paul said, Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. That's the word teleos. The New King James has mature. The King James says, uh, be men. The NIV says, be adults. That's from the word teleos. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14, the Bible says, But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, teleos. That is, by those uh, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Well, obviously the meaning is those who are spiritually mature. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13, we read that the body of Christ is to grow up into a perfect teleos or full-grown man. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 15, Paul said that some of the Christians there were mature, teleos. The King James says some of them were perfect. Well, that obviously doesn't mean that they were flawless or they had never committed a sin within their life. It means they were spiritually mature. They had reached a state of maturity. So we get the idea that Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 10, when that which is perfect, teleos, mature, full-grown, complete, has come, then that which is in part will be done away. So if we know the word perfect means complete or mature, then the phrase in part is used in contrast to that. 
Well, the context will show us what contrast Paul is making. Read on in verse 11. He says, When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. You see, Paul is likening the church during the time of spiritual gifts to a child that is growing toward adulthood. He says when he becomes a man, he puts away childish things. Now, some have suggested that the perfect thing Paul is speaking of is when the church reaches a state of perfect love or when these Christians personally each reach spiritual maturity. But the context shows that Paul is rather talking about the mature or completed revelation of the faith. Look in verse 12. He says, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. So what's he talking about here? Someone may say, well, it sounds like he's talking about heaven here because he says, when that time comes, when the perfect has come, we'll see God face to face. But read that again. Friend, he doesn't say we'll see God face to face, much less does he say that it would take place in heaven. He simply says they would see face to face whatever they at that time only saw a dim reflection of. Well, this phrase face-to-face appears in other places in Scripture. Uh, For example, back in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11, it says that Jehovah spoke to Moses face-to-face as a man speaks to his friend. But then, if you'll notice what he says on down in verse 20, God told Moses, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. Uh, The same wording is used in Genesis 32 and verse 30 when Jacob wrestled with the angel and said, I have seen God face-to-face. But did not the beloved apostle John later write that no man has seen God at any time? John 1 and verse 18. So face to face doesn't mean seeing God literally in heaven. It's simply a phrase that means fully, something being fully revealed to us. Now my dear friend, I contend that God has revealed to the church all that we may know of Him and His will this side of glory. Jude said in Jude verse 3 that it has been entrusted to us to earnestly contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Now when was that revelation complete or mature? When the apostles completed their work on earth. They were the vessels in which the message was placed. You see, during the time of the apostles, the revelation of Christ was not yet complete. It was in the process of being revealed. God has always unfolded His revelation to man over a period of time. Even the apostles did not have perfect knowledge of all things at any one given time. The faith was revealed through them over the course of their ministries. As Isaiah said of the people of old, back in Isaiah chapter 28, verses 9 and 10, he says, Whom will He teach knowledge, and whom will He make to understand the message? Those just weaned from milk? Those just drawn from the breast? No, that's not how God reveals His will. He says, For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. You see, that's how God has developed and revealed His will to man all through the ages. And the same was true in the system of faith revealed through Christ's apostles. Well, not only that, but the apostles couldn't be in all places at all times. So they were given the authority and power by Christ to impart spiritual gifts to people in those congregations to guide them in the meantime and to allow them to come to maturity in the faith. Well, today the apostles can be in all places at all times, spiritually. We have the completed canon of their writings. We have the New Testament. 
During their work on earth, the church was first an infant on the day of Pentecost. It was a growing child as the apostles circulated among them and wrote their letters to them and taught them, instructed them, corrected them. And it was destined for manhood when the apostles' work was complete, when the faith had been once and for all delivered unto the saints to believe, practice, and contend for throughout the rest of time. Thus Paul says, when that which is perfect, complete, mature has come, then that which is in part, these spiritual gifts, will be done away with. Now then look at verse 13. Now then, abide, or, and now abides faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Paul is saying, you'll need love long after the temporary spiritual gifts have fulfilled their purpose and have been taken away. Faith, hope, and love will abide, whereas those things that were in part would not. Is that talking about heaven? Well, why will we need faith in heaven when we will, as glorified beings, be in the very literal presence of God? Why will we need hope in heaven when our hope will have become realized in heaven? You see, Paul's not talking about heaven. He's not saying that spiritual gifts would remain with the church all throughout the ages. He says they were temporary until the revelation of Christ was completed and all Christians would have the New Testament completed to their, uh, committed rather to their keeping. Friend, why should we desire a return to immaturity when we have something far better today? And that is the revelation that the miraculous operation of the Holy Spirit in the beginning produced for the church to have throughout all ages. We no longer look into a glass darkly, but now we can stand in the sunlight of the full revelation of Jesus Christ and His glorious plan for mankind.
Subscribe to our YouTube channel to see all of our past broadcasts, plus extra videos including Let the Bible Speak Classics all the way back to the 1960s. And get new updates, go to YouTube and search for Let the Bible Speak TV and click on subscribe. Paul told young Timothy that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, that is, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says that it is able to equip us to every good work. This book is the result of the miraculous operation of the Holy Spirit among the apostles and the early church. And what we have here today is God's final and complete revelation of Jesus Christ and His plan and His will. We can turn to this book for all of the answers and all of the principles that we need to guide us and help us to navigate through all of the questions that arise within our lives and within the church. If you'd like a copy of our lesson today, we'll be happy to send you a free printed transcript, which will get in touch with us and ask for the lesson, Has That Which Is Perfect Come? And we will get that printed copy on its way. Again, it's free of any cost, and that's the case with anything we ever offer you here on Let the Bible Speak. You can find us online, ltbstv.org, social media. Be sure to like our Facebook page. It continues to grow as well as our YouTube channel. We're nearing 12,000 subscribers, and we hope that you will become one of those subscribers if you're not already. And you can also subscribe to our podcast and listen to Let the Bible Speak anytime throughout the week that you like and when you're on the go. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you have a great week ahead. Make your plans if the Lord wills and if He has not returned to join me back next time for another Bible study. Until then, have a great week ahead, and may our Lord richly bless you. Let the Bible Speak is brought to you by The Church of Christ. For more information, including our past broadcast and sermon transcripts, visit ltbstv.org. Thanks for being with us today. Join us next time for Let the Bible Speak.